Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Three, two, one. But I've worked it out. I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer Jim Calhoun. NASCAR the icon Dale Earnhardt five. Jr. Kirk Herbstreet is on the phone. For the podcast, it is Swimming America. We are Sports Podcast. Yeah. It is Wednesday, so August 3rd, 2022, people. I hope everybody's doing well. I hope everybody is having a great day. I hope everybody's ready for what I can only describe as kind of a wide-ranging interview or wide-ranging episode of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Here is what you need to know about today's show. We'll open the single biggest story in sports, Deshaun Watson. Wish I didn't have to talk serious stuff, but this story is so big. The report is out. The suspension is in. And I would be remiss if I did not discuss this, especially since I've discussed it a few more times. Now we have some very just uncomfortable details about what happened with Deshaun Watson, the fact that he only got six games. I think there are a lot of people that are very frustrated about that, including myself. Next, we will actually go to a guest. So a year ago, I had Phil Steele of Phil Steele Magazine on this show. He is the guru, the goat the greatest. He's been putting out Phil Phil Steele Magazine forever. And I invited him back on the podcast. And boy, oh boy, am I glad I interviewed him. We cover a lot of ground in about 20 minutes. We talk about Texas and USC and Michigan, the defending Big Ten champs. Yes, I did ask him about UConn as well as a couple other teams. Phil Steele will kind of give you your college football fill for today. Uh, no pun intended. Phil Steele, college football fill, get it? And then I'll wrap, by the way, with a little college hoops. We got some college hoops news, baby. Uh, on Tuesday night, we found out that Kentucky will be playing at Gonzaga this year. How about that for not a conference game? The Maui Invitational bracket is set. And we got a little bit of recruiting news with a five-star Ugana Kingsley committing to Kentucky and five-star K.J. Evans a forever Arizona lean committing to Oregon. So we will quickly, on the back end, rip through all of those stories. We're under 100 days from college basketball, people. I know we're all focused on college football, but the hoop season is coming soon. With that said, let's get to the topic of the day. And the topic of the day, I'll just say this, is that I I said it a few weeks ago when it came to the Brittany Griner situation. Um... This is the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. This isn't the Aaron Torres College Basketball Podcast. This isn't the Aaron Torres College Football Podcast. This is the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. 
And while I wish that I could do nothing but talk about fun things, Brian Kelly dancing with recruits, uh, games on the field, goofy recruiting stories, there are times that stories are so big that I would be remiss if I didn't cover them. And unfortunately, sometimes they're very serious stories as well. And that is absolutely the case with Deshaun Watson. We discussed it a few weeks ago as, as the process started to unfold. Uh, and I, I'd be remiss if I did not follow up here. As we now know, Deshaun Watson has been suspended six games. The NFL's internal report by their uh, outside counsel, Sue Robinson, was revealed. She was the pro, uh, independent investigator that investigated this report. And I'll just say this, man. This is a tough, tough, tough report to read. Very uncomfortable makes your skin crawl. I'm going to give you all the details. I don't tell you how to feel about things, but I don't know if you have not read this report yet how you can feel good about Deshaun Watson and his behavior. I'll just say this before we get into details. Um, Innocent, we get all that. If you read this report and you get into the findings which we're about to right now, it's just not a good look for Deshaun Watson, and it's it's just, let's just get into all the details because I don't want to beat around the bush anymore. First of all, in terms of the big picture detail, let me just give you about 30 seconds on what we knew coming into Monday's announcement, okay? So what we knew is the stuff that we covered, you know, two, three, four weeks ago. 24 women accused Deshaun Watson of sexual misconduct uh, via personal massages that were given to him. He hires them, they come in, he acts inappropriately. 24 women accuse him of that. There were no criminal charges brought, and I do think that is always important to mention. This was investigated by law enforcement in in Harris County, which is right around Houston in Texas. No criminal charges were brought to Deshaun Watson. At that point, we believe it is done. He is traded to the Cleveland Browns. Then we find out there is yet an additional accuser, up to 25, and that there were 66 total masseuses that worked on Deshaun Watson over a very short period of time, basically like over less than a two-year period. And so at the time, my baseline thoughts were this. I understand how the criminal justice system works, and I want to be abundantly clear here. I believe in the criminal justice system. I believe in innocent until proven guilty, um, and that accusations do not make someone guilty. But what I said at the time was even if you believe that he did not commit a crime, my personal opinion, and you're allowed to disagree, is that it's hard to look at the evidence that we had even two, three weeks ago and say that this is not bizarre behavior, okay? First of all, I said it at the time, um, NFL, any professional athlete, okay? Any professional athlete does not need 66 masseuses. As a matter of fact, if you talk to any professional athlete, That behavior is literally unheard of. Your body is your temple. Your body is your livelihood. And frankly, most professional athletes, really the only one one outside of of this conversation is Deshaun Watson, they don't want a lot of people to have access to their bodies, okay? I said it before. Tom Brady, 20-plus years with the same personal trainer. Michael Jordan uh, had Tim Grover for most of his career. Kobe Bryant. Dwayne Wade used Tim Grover for most of their careers. Alex Guerrero, the name of Tom Brady's trainer. When you find somebody that you feel comfortable 
taking care of your body. Your body is your livelihood. You don't have 66 different people over a two-year period, um, you know, kind of, kind of looking at it and, and working on it. Two, as we learned from that New York Times report, as we learned from the New York Times report a few months ago, the Texans provided uh, non-disclosure agreements. Essentially, Deshaun Watson had documentation written up by the Houston Texans, which the Houston Texans settled themselves. They do not look good in this either, that basically Deshaun Watson had his masseuses signed. That, again, is not normal behavior if you are not doing anything wrong. And then finally, I said this, and you're allowed to disagree. Um, I'm always sensitive to to any accusations of prominent people because obviously there are good people and bad people out there, and some people do try to take advantage of the rich and famous. It's but there is a difference between one accusation, between two accusations, between three accusations, and between 25 accusations. I never believed that at any point there were 25 separate accusers that were all coming together to put together the same story against Deshaun Watson. And so I understand. I understand how the criminal justice system works. I understand that it is innocent until proven guilty, that there, is no, uh, there were no criminal charges brought, and that because of it in the court of public opinion, I have to be balanced. But what I also said at the time is I think we can all agree, or I hope we can all agree, or I think we should all agree that this behavior at the very least, is not normal. That was all before Monday, though. And when you get the intimate details of Deshaun Watson's behavior from a private investigator brought in by the NFL, an outside counsel, this person does not work for the NFL. This person was brought in to separate the NFL from its player. This is not Roger Goodell making a decision. That is, This is not the Cleveland Browns making a decision. This is not the Houston Texans making a decision. When you read this woman's report, her name is Sue Robinson, it absolutely makes your skin crawl, um, and in my personal opinion, it is very hard for me to ever root for Deshaun Watson again. Let me give you some details again. Just I'll give you some details from the report, which is available online and easily accessible. I encourage all of you to read it. So first of all, again, first of all, there were 25 accusers in total. The NFL interviewed two and they based this decision off of the testimony of four. So that's important. Four women's testimonies were used in the decision with Deshaun Watson. This is what we found out in the report. All four women accusing Deshaun Watson of, and if you have children in the car, just understand we're about to get to some sensitive content here, but all kind of accused him of, of, of just exposing himself and putting the masseuses in uncomfortable situations. But here is exactly what came out of that report. Again, this report by an independent person hired by the NFL. First off, Deshaun Watson hired all of these masseuses personally all off of Instagram, okay? The team had masseuses, the team had trainers that he could use, and instead he hired all four of these women that were part of this investigation privately off Instagram. All of them essentially were given the same message. All of them were basically told, hey, I need you here and I need you here soon. This is urgent. He did say forthright that he was an NFL player and he said that he didn't care about the experience. One of the masseuses, I found it very interesting, wasn't even licensed in the state of Texas. And so again, you come to your own judgments on all of this, but to me, 
This is not normal behavior for a professional athlete. You have a team masseuse. You have a team trainer. If you have someone that you trust with your own body, generally you're going to use them. Again, Tom Brady's been using the same guy, Alex Guerrero, for 20-plus years. Michael Jordan used Tim Grover for baseball and basketball, and when he came back to the NBA, he was using the same guy the entire time. Deshaun Watson, 66 total masseuses. These four all contacted via Instagram when the team had their own masseuses. One of them was not even certified or licensed in the state of Texas. Two, um, again, very sensitive conversation, but this is part of the report and this is what we do. Two, he asked the masseuses for some massages in some very private personal areas, um, which not necessarily, which independent, you know, body parts that would normally need to be massaged uh, if you're a high-level professional athlete. What was different about Deshaun Watson, though, was this. I've never had a massage, so I want to be abundantly clear about that. But Deshaun Watson, um, I guess when you get a, a massage from a professional, they provide, a, uh, they provide their own kind of a, a, a body wrap, a towel, a, a body wrap, a sheet to put around your body. So essentially, your, your private areas are not exposed. Deshaun Watson in all four cases refused that and either asked for a small towel or brought his own towel himself, which again made for some uncomfortable situations and some situations where his private areas in the process of being massaged um, came into contact with all four masseuses. And then finally, of the masseuses, and I think this is important, four independent of each other, all essentially had the same story, but more importantly, all of them were very uncomfortable and never hired Deshaun Watson again. One expressed discomfort with how he acted, with his behavior. One ended the massage early, and one and all four refused to work with him again. And then we find out later in the report that two of the masseuses sought therapy after seeing Deshaun Watson one experienced depression, and one is planning or has already gotten out of this business is no longer a masseuse. And so again, I understand that there are no criminal charges brought, but you talk about not normal behavior and behavior that was intended to make these female masseuses uncomfortable. I don't know what else to tell you. If you're still defending Deshaun Watson, I don't know what else there is to say or you certainly believe all these circumstantial things have nothing to do with each other. But if that was it, if what I just told you is not enough to sell you, let me read you the conclusions that this woman, this independent investigator, Sue Robinson, brought about with Deshaun Watson. Here is what she said about Deshaun Watson. She said, one, let me find the exact quote. This is from the report. These are her conclusions after going through all of the testimonies. One, I'm going to read it verbatim so there's no confusion. But she believes that Deshaun Watson had a sexual purpose with these masseuses beyond therapy. Here is the exact quote from the report. This is not my opinion. This is a quote. 
I find this sufficient circumstantial evidence to support the NFL's contention, not only that contact occurred, but that Mr. Watson was aware that contact probably would occur and that Mr. Watson had a sexual purpose, not just a therapeutic purpose, in making these arrangements with these particular therapists. So this independent investigator says that she believes that he made these appointments with a sexual purpose in mind beyond the therapeutic purpose. And that too, and again, to me, this is where it is damning. She said, I find that the NFL has produced sufficient evidence to prove that the, the, the last prong of the test, that Mr. Watson knew such sexualized contact was unwanted. So if you have any doubts about how to feel about Deshaun Watson, and again, you feel however you want, what we found from the NFL's investigator was that she believes that Deshaun Watson knew that the masseuses knew that there was a sexual purpose behind it, not just therapeutic, and he knew the sexualized contact, him rubbing his private parts on these masseuses was unwanted. And so to me, we can get into Deshaun Watson in a minute, but I mean, it's just, it's repulsing, disgusting behavior. And I don't know how anyone can feel confident supporting Deshaun Watson in this. Now, really quickly, we should get to what actually happened on Monday, because to me, the report is more interesting than the six games. But now that we got there, I'm sure all of you are sitting there saying, wait, Aaron, how? How did he only get six games when the NFL's own investigator said that the sexual advances were unwanted and that, the se- that he knew that there is a sexual nature in his behavior beyond just therapeutic? This guy got off on a technicality. And if you watched any sports TV on Monday or you listen to sports talk radio with not very smart people, this is what they said. She looked at the circumstances, she looked at the evidence, and she did what she was supposed to do by the books, and while that's sort of true, it's sort of not true. So why was it only six games? It was only six games for the following reasons. It is because when Ray Rice happened and Roger Goodell initially only suspended Ray Rice for six for two games, there was obviously a public outcry as there should have been. And then at that time, the NFL, as part of their personal conduct policy, put in a rule that there would be a minimum of six games for any sexual, you know, any sexual behavior. Here is the catch, though. According to the NFL's own guidelines, the six-game suspension applies to this. Any violent sexual assault type behavior is a minimum of six games. Any violent behavior is a minimum of six games for a first-time offender. It can then go up to eight games for a second-time offender. And so Sue Robinson, first of all, to be clear, the NFL pushed for a year-long suspension. That is not my opinion. That is in the report. But what Sue Robinson said is by the letter of which the NFL personal conduct policy is written. This is a first-time offender. 
this was actually nonviolent, and if I am doing this by the code, which is given to me, I have no choice but to give him six games. And if you read the report, she almost feels uncomfortable only giving six games, but ultimately does not appear, in her opinion, to feel as though she has much choice. So what are my takeaways from this six-game suspension? Let's be straightforward. The first one, I'm, I'll be honest, I'm kind of repulsed by Deshaun Watt. Like, like, I don't think that there is anybody that is not a Browns fan. Because a Browns fan, is gonna, you're going to defend your guy no matter what. There is nobody that can read this report and be comfortable with Deshaun Watson. I would argue being anywhere, like, like being in society. But to take it a step further, certainly to only be suspended six games for football. And what's interesting to me is this, is, is, is if you've listened to this show, you know that I'm a believer in recidivism. You know that I'm a believer in second chances. You know that I'm a believer in innocent until proven guilty. And I'm also a believer that if you serve a punishment, then you should be allowed to continue your life. I've said that for years, okay? I've used this example before. But Michael Vick, my mother, who I love, listens to this show. She believes Michael Vick like, basically should never be allowed to deal with like, like she, he shouldn't be allowed in society because of what happened with the dog fighting and all that stuff. My mom is a big animal advocate. And I argue with her all the time. I say, Mom, what he did was disgusting, grotesque. You can Google what he did if you don't know it. But I also said, he served a year in prison. He's allowed, now that he has served his time, to be able to continue his life. Ray Rice, I've said the same thing. He should be allowed to continue. He's basically banished from the NFL. That doesn't mean that he should never be allowed to work again or leave his house. I don't feel that way with Deshaun Watson because I don't feel as though there was any real punishment or whatever for him. For people who are confused, he sat out all of last year on his own. He wanted a trade from the Houston Texans on his own. He refused to play for that team and still got paid. He then got traded, and he is now going to miss six games. And only six games because of, as I said, even though the NFL's own investigator said that, he be- that she believed that Watson was aware that his massages had a sexual purpose, not just therapeutic, and that he knew such contact with these females was unwanted tell me where the justice is tell me where Deshaun Watson has served any type of punishment Deshaun Watson was paid millions of dollars last year to not play football because he refused to play for the Houston Texans now he is getting suspended for six games without pay and he is going to be allowed to continue remember the Cleveland Browns redid his contract so that most of the, the $230 million guaranteed, by far the most guaranteed money in the history of the NFL, will not be paid out this year, knowing that a suspension is coming. Deshaun Watson did not pay any sort of uh, repentance, uh, you know, whatever the right word is. Deshaun Watson is not getting punished relative to how he should be punished. And I know he settled with a bunch of these women out of court, but that does not mean that that justice was served in this case. 
That's one. Two, let me just say this. Beyond the Deshaun Watson stuff, I, I just I said my piece on that. I think his behavior, the, I don't know how you can confuse his behavior for anything other than at the very minimum disgusting sexual harassment, if not much, much more. At the very least, it is clear that like textbook sexual harassment recurred, occurred in this case. Secondly, what I would say is this. First of all, can, can we stop with the comparing one thing to the other to the other, this suspension to the other to the other? I just explained to you why it's only six games. This was out of Roger Goodell's hands, and this was in the hands of the private investigator. Please do not compare this to Calvin Ridley. Calvin Ridley, as I told you probably six months ago, the NFL gambling policy in his contract says you cannot bet on NFL football. So please do not compare it to that. Please do not compare it to Robert Kraft, who went to somewhere where he was paying for a sexual activity and it was understood by the recipient. We can agree if that's right, if that's wrong, if it's this, if it's that. That is not the same as what Deshaun Watson did. Don't compare it to Ray Rice. And here is why. And this is the last part that I find the most interesting. As always, when I watch coverage of this on Monday, blame Roger Goodell. How could Roger Goodell only allow four, six games? Well, to quote J.J. Redick, well, F-head, it's actually pretty straightforward. Roger Goodell, at one point, was the judge, jury, and executioner when it came to these matters. Roger Goodell handed out the Deflategate suspension for Tom Brady. Roger Goodell handed out the Ray Rice suspension. Roger Goodell handed out six games for Zeke Elliott even though a private investigator much like this said that they believed that Zeke Elliott should not be suspended at all. And what ended up happening was that everybody in the public said that Roger Goodell should not be handling these types of cases. And so what Roger Goodell did was he said the NFL is going to get out of the criminal justice space. We are going to hire independent people, which is what Sue Robinson was, and she's got a long background as a judge and as a lawyer and all that. And we're going to let them decide, and we are going to have to be okay with it. Now, I do understand, I do understand that they can still appeal, but for everybody blaming Roger Goodell, for everybody comparing what Zeke Elliott got and what Tom Brady got for Deflategate and what so-and-so got for this, understand. That if, if Roger Goodell had been in charge of this, we're talking a minimum one-year suspension. And so I've said my piece. I've said my point. I want to get to Phil Steele. I want to get to f- some fun stuff. But what I would say straight up is pretty straightforward. Don't blame Roger Goodell for this. Roger Goodell has been the guy that has handed out all of these punishments in the past and the public. You guys, maybe not you, maybe not me, but the public has said, that they don't want Roger Goodell in the punishment business. He got out. Do not blame him for this. All right, serious topic off the top, but I had to do it. And and not only did I have to do it, as I read the report, I, I mean, listen, I'm not trying to be Mr., uh, you know, get on my mountaintop, but I don't know how you can read that report and just feel comfortable with what Deshaun Watson's getting away with. And I do believe a six-game suspension he is getting away with quite a bit. Had to talk about it. We'll see if the NFL appeals. We'll see what comes of that appeal. But it is what it is, and now we move on. 
So I want to do, I do want to take a quick break. I do want to come back. Let's have a little bit of fun. Phil Steele, Phil Steele Magazine will join me. We'll talk about all sorts of good stuff with Phil Steele. And then I will come back, wrap with a little bit of College Hoops news. We'll kind of bounce around from thing to thing as uh, Gonzaga hosting Kentucky. And then from there, after Gonzaga, we'll get to the Maui Invitational, plus two five-stars commit, Udana Kingsley, Udana Kingsley and KJ Evans to Oregon. Take a quick break. Go to Phil Steele. I will be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there i can tell you about my favorite place to have fun chumba casino they have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week you can play for free anytime anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses so join me in the fun sign up now at chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary btw void were prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus All right, joining me via Zoom, um, just told them off air, but I had this gentleman on last year, and it was about 20 to 25 minutes of college football, you know, knowledge and bliss, and it's that time of year where the Phil Steele magazine hits newsstands, obviously, philsteele.com, you can always order it there, and the one and only Phil Steele is joining me. Now, Phil, how are you, my friend? How you doing? I am doing great, Aaron. It's, uh, the magazine is out, and uh, it's just uh, summertime, so I'm doing a bunch of radio shows. Enjoy talking about football. Uh, how are you doing, my friend? So I'm great. Um, and, you know, one thing, first of all, I'm great because we're, you know, I, I believe a month as you and I record from week zero right now, uh, my UConn Huskies under Jim Moore are taking the field a month from now. So we'll maybe I'll, I'll hit you up on them later because you're probably one of the few people in America that can – accurately speak to the to the roster that coach Morris put together but you know this time last year when I had you on you really spent about two three minutes explaining the process of putting together this magazine I know we have a lot of listeners who probably heard you with me last year but for those who who are new to the show take us through when does moment one of the magazine that is on your newsstands now in 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 early to, to mid-july when does that process start for the 2022 uh, preview magazine? 
Yeah, I appreciate that, Aaron. I'll, I'll take you through uh, one team, give you an example of how things can change in the era of the transfer portal as well. And this will give you a good idea how the magazine's done. I write the magazine in three parts. The first part is what I call the postseason write-through. And what I do is I've watched all the games all season long, and now I go through and read every article that was written about the football team for the entire season, from the first start of August all the way through the uh, end of their final game. And I get a real good flavor for each and every position on the team, all the ebbs, all the flows, all the injuries, all the uh, great great days and, and poor days. And then I write the magazine at that point. And what I do is I'd say, okay, what kind of shape was this unit heading into last year? What happened last year? And what kind of shape is this particular position for next year? And I do each position the same way. And uh, that's the first write-through process. The second write-through process is pre-spring. We get the rosters from the schools. We add in all the freshmen that have signed. Uh, we also add in anybody from the transfer portal. And I'll say this, after the first write-through process with you USC this year, they were coming off a 4-8 and eight season. They had a brand-new head coach. They only had 11 returning starters. I had USC about the middle of the pack in the Pac-12 South. Second write-through process, they started moving up a little. They started signing some folks. Well, the third write-through process is after I talked to the head coach. And this year, I talked to 120 of the 131 head coaches. And, yes, I did talk to Coach Mora at the Connecticut, by the way. But, uh, ironically, I'm on the phone with Coach Lincoln Riley going over the team with him, and it's the day they signed Jordan Addison from Pitt. Now, all of a sudden, I look at the roster of this team, and they've got their quarterback from Oklahoma in uh, Mario Williams, who, of course, was the number one rated quarterback out of high school, or Caleb Williams, excuse me, and uh, was starred in the second half of the year for the Sooners and knows the offense well. They brought in the receiver, Mario Williams, who is my number two rated receiver out of high school, starred at Oklahoma. They brought in the Blitnikoff winner in Jordan Addison. They brought in Travis Dye, a thousand-yard rusher from Oregon, and when I talked to Coach Riley about the offensive line. I had questions, but he said he really liked the top end experience and uh, was felt they were more uh, had more talent than what he originally thought they would. Defensively, brought in about 12 to 13 transfers, including a Shane Lee, who started 13 games as a freshman at Alabama, for crying out loud. Now, all of a sudden, USC was my number one most improved team in the country and a contender in the Pac-12 South. So it shows you how a team can change, but also gives you an analysis of uh, how we do the magazines. So we start the Sunday after Thanksgiving, and I have the final page goes to the press, usually that first week of June. So dumb question, even that first write-through, so take any team, USC, UConn, Alabama, whoever. Um, what, you said you read every article that you can find that is published. How long does it take you to just do that first write-through for one team? Yeah, it, you know, it depends. Uh, now, we have a service that supplies us with articles daily for every team in the country. And then what we do is we just put that into a report. So it's it's something where some teams, a team like Connecticut, for example, I may have 50 pages. That doesn't mean 50 articles. That's 50 pages, which usually three articles per page. So figure 150 articles during the year. For Ohio State, I probably have 1,800 pages, you know, because just cause there's so many more media places that cover it. So, you know, uh, it depends on which team it is, but generally that, that process is about a, uh, anywhere from a four to six hour process. Okay. Incredible. Um, you mentioned the transfer portal. That was kind of my next question. I mean, obviously USC is kind of an extreme, but you know, the thing that 
that I find interesting from your perspective is that it, it is to your point on Jordan Addison going so late into the spring. Um, you know, not just high profile guys like Jordan Addison, but I, I would guess venture to guess most teams are still adding guys post spring and obviously certainly losing guys post spring. How has your job changed even in just the last two or three years uh, with the advent of the, of the transfer portal? Yeah, the beautiful thing uh, this year, Aaron, was that they uh, closed the portal May 1st, and we go to the press June 8th. So we knew every player that was headed out. You know, players, you had to hit the portal by May 1st if you were eligible to play this year. So basically everybody that's transferred, transferred by May 1st. We had all that. And then going to the press June 8th, we were able to capture – I would say almost all of the players transferring in. A guy like Jordan Anderson's not going to sit and wait until the middle of June to sign somewhere. He knew where he was going, and he, he ended up signing there. So we were able to capture the majority of the signees. There's been a couple that have slipped through the that, – that have signed after June 8th. But, you know, the good news is we do a hard copy of the magazine, which is what everybody – refers to as the Bible of college football, and it's out everywhere. But we also do a digital version of the magazine, and that we actually update all the way up through the start of the season. So if anybody did sign since we wrote the magazine, we'll have it in there. If a player like Christian Mahogany, the offensive lineman for Boston College, gets injured and now is out for the year after we wrote the magazine, we've updated that in the digital version as well. So, you know, if you are interested in the digital version, that's available on philsteel.com. But, yeah, I think we were able to capture the majority of the uh, the transfer moves that happened. Fantastic. want to hit you on a few different teams here. You know, the first one you mentioned, USC, um, you know, you said, obviously, even maybe middle spring, you, you had a middle of the pack in the, the Pac-12, understandably so. For people who forgot they went four and eight last year, there's a reason they fired Clay Helton. Um, now that the dust is settled, you know, I, I was at their spring game. I live in Los Angeles now. And Coach Riley seemed confident in the group that he had. Um, but it's one thing to, to put a, a group on paper, and it's another thing to, to strap them up for 12 weeks, especially against you know, I know the Pac-12 is a little under fire right now, but there's some good programs. Uh, UCLA is pretty good this year, uh, Utah, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, what do you make of USC uh, under Lincoln Riley in year one? Because they're certainly one of the more fascinating teams to think about and talk about. It. Yeah, I, I think they're going to have a very good year. And, you know, not all transfers uh, end up working out. Uh, take a look at Memphis last year, for example. I think they brought in eight transfers and only one of them saw significant playing time during the course of the year. But what I like about USC is the quality of the transfers they brought in and the fact that a lot of them were there in the spring and won the starting job. So if a transfer wins a starting job, you know he's going to contribute. And you just have to look at the talent that USC has on both sides of the ball. Now, if they can get that defense to play up to its talent level, that's going to be the big thing because last year that was one of their problems. But as mentioned, I have them my number one most improved team in the country. And when I look at the schedule, uh, I've got a couple of toss-up games on the schedule. At Stanford's a toss-up game. At Oregon State is a toss-up game. Tough place to play. At UCLA's a toss-up game. Notre Dame's a toss-up game. They're going to have to win uh, you know, at least two, maybe three of those to get to double-digit wins. I've got them an underdog at Utah, which is my pick to win the pack this year. But I think they have a, a chance of getting the double-digit wins in the first year of Lincoln Riley. What about Texas? I mean, I think most people would know, but but five-star transfer quarterback Quinn Ewers is coming in now. He hasn't officially been named the starter yet, but I think virtually everyone feels that that they that he will be the guy. Uh, Oklahoma's going through a coaching change. Iowa State's a little bit down. Baylor's obviously good, but um, it feels like there's a window here for Texas. What do you make of Texas? They're always a, another team that's a hot topic this time of year in college. 
Yeah, and, um, for the magazine, I have nine sets of power ratings, and sometimes the power ratings, uh, you know, they play out the schedule. I put the power ratings in versus their opponent's power ratings in that category, and you know, there are rare times. Sometimes a team like Alabama, for example, it's basically twelve and zero against across the board, and Alabama is a double digit favorite in every game this year. There are some teams that go anywhere from uh, three and nine up to nine and three, and Texas is one of those where. Uh, this year, I would say of the nine sets of power ratings, three or four of them call Texas the best team in the Big 12, uh, much like the FBI ratings have them the best team in the Big 12 by ESPN. Uh, they've got the talent, that, but I'm just hesitant to put Texas up there just because they have been disappointing uh, each and every year. But with, with Quinn Ewers uh, coming in, I mean, you look at that running back court, it's the best in the country. They've got B. John Robinson, Roshan Johnson. Keelan Robinson, Jonathan Brooks, best running back core in the country. My number six set of receivers, offensive line solid, defensive line, linebackers should be much improved this year. And I, I think it's year two for Coach Sarkeesian. And I can tell you, I've been doing this for 28 years. Almost every second year coach I've ever talked to has said, Phil, we're so much better off this year. We know the players' strengths and weaknesses. The players know the system. And we have our first real recruiting class. And Sark's been doing a good job recruiting lately as well. I think when you look at their schedule, they're going to be an underdog against Alabama, naturally. Probably a slight underdog against Oklahoma and at Oklahoma State. They're a contender in the Big 12 this year, though. What about cross-state, uh, Texas A&M? So much has been made of that recruiting class, but obviously I think anybody who's followed college football knows that you might have a breakout guy or two in that freshman class, but that for the most part, you know, next year, the year after is when they're really all going to kind of elevate their games. Uh, what, what, you know, I think there's this outside perception of, well, Texas A&M better make the playoff this year after that recruiting class. One, was Jimbo Fisher one of the 120 of 131 coaches that you did talk to? Uh, two, good luck transcribing that interview if he was. Then, <laughs> but then three, what, what, what does Jimbo Fisher think about his team or wh whomever, hopefully it's somebody at Texas A&M that you did speak to about that roster that, that, that's been built in college state? No, I do go over the team every year with Coach Fisher. He's more than generous with his time, and I appreciate that. And I can tell you this. Seems like every position we got to, when we got to the recap of it, it's like, oh, we're going to be good this year, but we're going to be great next year. And it's not just one recruiting class for AM. That's things that you have to look at. He's actually had five great recruiting classes. So when we get to the third string player, and I go over every player on the team with each coach, the conversations usually last about an hour. I get to the third team, and he's got what I call VHTs, or very highly touted players there. This is the only other roster in the SEC that has the depth of an Alabama or a Georgia. Now, the difference this year is Alabama, for example, has my number 52 in most experienced team in the country, which for them, it's not bad. They lose a lot of players to the NFL every year. 52 is pretty high for them. Texas A&M comes in number 124. They lose their entire defensive line. There's question marks of receiver. Uh, you know, they've got a lot of inexperience, a lot of talent, but a lot of inexperience. They also have to play Alabama on the road they have to play alabama the week after the weeks after playing miami of florida arkansas mississippi state and back-to-back-to-back -back -back weeks it's their third straight road game basically they're, they're on the road against arkansas and arlington they have to play mississippi state on the road 
and then Alabama on the road. So the situation really favors Alabama this year to beat A&M and win the West. But I've got A&M as a chance to win all the rest of their games. It's a very talented roster. And keep in mind, last year they lost four games. Everybody says, well, they lost games they shouldn't have lost. They lost their quarterback, for crying out loud, early in the season. So they throw Zach Calzada into the fire against both Arkansas and Mississippi State. Lost those games. Uh, I thought they got better as the season went on. Probably should have beaten LSU final. Uh, you know, they were one play away from winning that. They had the lead late. Uh, but I, I think A&M is going to be a, a double-digit win team this year and a legitimate playoff contender next year. If they somehow beat Alabama on the road this year, then yes, they're a legitimate playoff contender this year because that young team will have galvanized itself by the midseason. Fantastic. Last individual team, then we'll get to some big picture stuff. Uh, Michigan, I'm just I'm fascinated by them. They make the playoff veteran team lose a lot. They bring back their quarterback. But is he really their quarterback? Um, what I don't know if you talked to Coach Harbaugh again, but but he seemed, you know, we're recording the day after he spoke at Big Ten Media Days. He seemed excited about his group. Um, what do you make of the Michigan Wolverines coming off their first Big Ten title in a long time? I think when you look at Michigan, you have to look at them defensively. And uh, I don't think they're going to be as good as a defense as last year. Last year, they gave up 17 points per game. They were dominant pass rushing. They lose guys like Aiden Hutchinson, David Ajabo, Chris Hinton from the inside, Josh Ross from linebacker, Daxton Hill, a number one draft pick defensive back, Brad Hawkins at safety, Vincent Gray, a cornerback. That's a lot of talent to lose. But my computer, or the front of the magazine, lists my projected stats. And you'd be amazed. I, I go through this, and it's it's part of my first write-through process, Aaron, where I go, okay, what did my computer project last year? And you'd be amazed how close it is, within two, three points each time, or within uh, 10, 15 yards. And uh, I just go, wow. That's uh, it's why I'm really proud of the projected stats in front of the magazine. Anyway, it says Michigan this year is going to go from to allowing 342 yards per game, which is still good and uh, 22.3 points per game. So they still have a top 25 defense. The offense, and they say if you don't have one, if you have two quarterbacks, you don't have one. I think Michigan's in good shape there. Cade McNamara and J.J. McCarthy like playing with each other. Uh, we know that uh, McNamara led them to the, the big game last year, but McCarthy's got more upside. I think their two quarterbacks are fine. The offensive line, best in the country. Special teams, best in the country. And then they've uh, got to love their schedule as well. You know, they only have three road games prior to playing Ohio State. One of them's against Indiana, one's against Rutgers, and one's against Iowa. Now, the Iowa one's a question mark. I can tell you right now in Vegas, uh, Michigan is a four-point favorite in that game. If Michigan wins that game at Iowa, I think they'll be 11 and 0 when they travel to face Ohio State. Now, I've got them a two-touchdown underdog, as does Vegas, to Ohio State on the road playing in Columbus with Ohio State having revenge. But I think Michigan's right back up there. I got them number five in the country, and I think they're a legitimate contender. Can you hear me? Yes. Can you hear me, Phil? Now I can hear you. Yes. Okay. I apologize. I what I what I asked what I was going to say was you mentioned Vegas and yourself having Ohio State as about a two touchdown favorite in a potential matchup with Michigan down the road. Um, you know, one kind of thing that seems to be a perception this year is that at the top of the sport, it's Alabama, Ohio State, and then a pretty big gap. Um, one, do you believe that? And then two, if you do, is there anybody that you envision being able to eventually elevate themselves? into that national title conversation with Alabama. 
Yeah, I think you, you cannot discount Georgia from that mix. I mean, I know Georgia only allowed 10 points per game last year, and that includes giving up 41 points to Alabama in the SEC championship game. Other than that, they gave up 8.6 points per game, which is really remarkable. Uh, and they lose eight starters off that defense, eight uh, draft picks off that defense. But I, I think Georgia still has one of the best defenses. In fact, my computer calls for them to give up 16 points per game, which is number one in the FBS. So they're still going to have a strong defense. Stetson Bennett's a good leader. They're going to be a double-digit favorite in every single game, just like Bama, just like Ohio State this year. So keep your eyes on Georgia. I think that's your, your main contender coming out. And if you're looking for a surprise, uh, I would go with Utah out of the Pac-12. I think when you look at Utah, as always, under Coach Whittingham, they're strong at the line of scrimmage. Uh, remember last year they dropped two early games, then Cam Risen took over a quarterback, and they were a different team. Almost knocked off Ohio State in the Rose Bowl last year. I think they've got the talent and the schedule to run the table. And as much maligned as the Pac-12 is being kicked around this off season, if they run the table in the Pac-12 and go undefeated, they'll make the playoff year. Other main contenders, I think Michigan has to be included up there, Texas M, and of course Clemson. And, you know, I'll say this about Clemson, Ohio State, Oklahoma from last year. Um, what we saw was that uh, last year when I talked to the coaches, almost every coach, 90% of them said, Phil, this is the deepest we've ever been. We were able to run three teams in the spring. That's how deep we were. Everybody had 17, 18, 19 returning starters. And what happened was the big boys all lost talent to the NFL. And it, they were at a supreme deficit, uh, teams that were at their most experienced they had ever been. And what we saw was Clemson not even make the ACC title game, Ohio State not even make the Big Ten title game, Oklahoma not make the Big 12 title game. And Alabama, while they, I mean, they lost A&M, they got outgained by Florida, they barely got past LSU, and they should have lost Auburn last year, or they wouldn't have made the playoff. So add it all up, we saw a lot of uh, teams – have unusual years last year, Michigan, Cincinnati making the playoffs. This year, I think it's a return to the powers. So I, I think Oklahoma wins the Big 12. I've got them favored in every game. Uh, you look at the fact that last year their real losses were at Baylor and at Oklahoma State. This year they get both those two teams at home. Last year Baylor had everybody back on, on the team. Oklahoma State had its entire defense back. This year they've suffered some attrition, much like Oklahoma. That's why I like the Sooners in the Big 12. I like Clemson out of the ACC. Uh, their question mark last year was quarterback DJ Uyunglele struggled, no doubt about it. But this year, talking offense quarter Brandon Streeter going over that with him. He said he's lost 20 to 25 pounds. He's worked on getting the ball out of his hands quicker, so he didn't take as many sacks. And uh, I think you're going to see a vastly improved quarterback play, whether it's him or Cade Klubnik, my number one quarterback out of high school, who was there in the spring and looked pretty good. Defensive line, best in the country, second-best defense in the country. Offensive lines improved, deep set of running backs. I see Clemson winning the ACC. Last, uh, first of all, any anybody that's overvalued, anybody that stands out is just, you know, they're getting a lot of buzz in some other places, but your numbers and your study says that that they're a little bit overvalued. Uh, you know, I would say, and, and it might be maybe a team like Michigan state, uh, coming off an 11 and two season last year, but remarkably for Michigan state in conference play, they were minus 83 yards per game, which generally, if you play a nine game schedule and you're minus 83 yards per game, your record's two and seven maybe one and eight, and yet they were 11 and two last year. So uh, I think Michigan State caught some breaks last year. They're still going to be a good team. I just don't see them as an 11 win team or a team that's really contending in the Big Ten East this year. I picked them fourth in the Big Ten East this year. 
Very, very, very interesting. Um, last question. I, I said it. My UConn Huskies go. You know, I, I, I've had Coach Moore on this show. I give him great a ton guy. of credit. Yeah, great guy. Very aggressive in the portal. I mean, some of these websites that that are supposed to track the portal haven't been been updated accurately. But listen, we know uh, maybe by your numbers, the worst team in the FBS last year. Um, if if that's what your numbers say, I won't argue with it. It's it's going to be a slow build. But give me the scoop on the Huskies coming into this game. Yeah, I think that they're they're definitely going to be approved. You look at the quarterback play. If you go back to last year, I thought when Fumanichu was uh, took over as a starting quarterback, they were really starting to show something. Then he got injured and was out for the year. Well, he's back and he's got to battle a Taquan Robinson who comes over from uh, Penn State. He's a guy that's a leader. He just needs some experience, but he's got really good arm talent and ability to run. You look at the running back core. They bring in a Juco and Will Knight, who I think could make an impact there. Offensive line. I like what Moore is doing up on the offensive line. I'll say this. Going through the teams with the coaches this year, it seemed like a lot of the FCS players that transferred in the offensive line immediately earned starting jobs. And so I started after about 10 coaches asking each coach, why is that? And this consensus I came up with was that it's based on reps and offensive linemen players need reps and they gain those reps at the FCS and are able to transfer up. Plus they have a chip on their shoulder where you bring in a kid from Dartmouth and Jack Guidoni. Uh, they've got the, the, the transfer from uh, a Juco coming in and Nico Pujaha and then uh, a Michigan transfer. So they've got some good players coming in the offensive line and defensively plenty of talent returning uh, on that side. I mean, talent, much better talent than what you'd expect for a team that gave up 38.5 points per game. And what basically what I'm saying is I think Connecticut would be definitely more competitive than last year. Uh, I think they beat Central Connecticut. They beat UMass. Those are two games they should be able to win. It wouldn't surprise me if they go on the road and beat FIU. There's a team that uh, in the last three years has won three games total, and I think they can easily match that or top that uh, this year. They'll be far more competitive. Very good. Phil Steele, Phil Steele Magazine is out now, philsteele.com for the digital version. I asked you this last year, and I'll ask you again. The day this bad boy goes to print, do you go just get yourself the biggest steak that you can find, or what do you do uh, to, to celebrate when the thing is at the printer? Yeah, you hit it right on the head. I'm going out, and uh, it's definitely a relief, a massive relief, having the thing go off to the press. Uh, usually me and my daughter will go out to some nice restaurant and uh, – just as you mentioned, to get the biggest steak you can find and, and have, a, have a good time there. So it's a huge relief. And then comes summertime. Summertime is always a lot better. Uh, coming up, I got football season, which is those 102-hour work weeks, trying to capture everything I can. But definitely enjoy my summer right now. Phil Steele, Phil Steele Magazine is out now uh, and philsteele.com. You can order it there. And then obviously the digital version, which is constantly being updated, is available as well. Phil, we know you got a million of these things. We genuinely appreciate you making some time. And uh, we'll talk to you at this time next year. We appreciate all your time and all you, everything you do for college football. Hey, sounds good. Appreciate it, Aaron. And uh, good talking to you again, my friend. Had a lot of fun today. All right, we're going to get back to the show in a minute. But before we do, how about our partners, DraftKings and the DraftKings Sportsbook? Incredible offer. For those of you who love Major League Baseball, bet $5 on any team, any game. You're a fan of Cincinnati. You're a fan of Houston. You're a fan of Chicago, Boston, New York, whoever. Bet $5 on any team, 
And whether they win or lose, you get $100 in free bets, courtesy of the DraftKings Sportsbook. That's right, $5 on any team, $100 in free bets, whether they win or lose. Unbelievable offer. Here is how you can take advantage. Click the link in the show description and sign up for a new account with DraftKings Sportsbook and make your first deposit. Make a $5 money line bet on any team. And whether your team wins, whether your team loses, you get $100 in free bets courtesy of the DraftKings Sportsbook. It is the best deal going in sports betting, so go ahead and act now. If you or somebody you know has a gambling problem, crisis counseling and referral services can be accessed by calling 1-800-GAMBLER, 1-800-426-2537 in Illinois. Gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER in Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, Wyoming, 1-800-9-WITHIN in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado, 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa, 1-888-532-3500 in Virginia, 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona, or call or text Tennessee Redline, 1-800-889-9789 in Tennessee. Must be 21-plus or over to enter, 18-plus or over in Wyoming, Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Wyoming, Louisiana, New York only. Minimum $5 deposit, minimum $5 wager. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for full terms and conditions. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right, everybody. I am back. Good to be back. Good to be back. Final segment of the show. So good to be back. Uh, First of all, a couple quick things. One, how about DraftKings Sportsbook? Link in the show description. First time users, you are not going to get a better offer than what you have. Bet $5. $5. All you got to do is bet $5 on any MLB game. You get $100 in free bets courtesy of DraftKings. You don't even have to win. Incredible offer. Secondly, thank you to Phil Steele from PhilSteele.com and Phil Steele Magazine. That guy is a wealth of college football knowledge. So thank you to Phil Steele. Thank you to DraftKings. Let's wrap the show now with a little bit of college hoops news. How about this? We're under 100 days from college hoops. And since I last recorded, there have been, I think, four pretty significant things in college hoops to discuss. Two related to scheduling, two related to recruiting. And I don't think I'm going to go a mile deep on any of these. But instead, what I'll probably do is just spend two, three, four minutes on each. We will get out of here. Uh, And if you want more specifically on some of the recruiting stuff, you can go to the Aaron Torres Podcast YouTube page because there is some recruiting stuff there. But we have four notes, two related to scheduling, two related to recruiting. Let's get into them. The first one came from Rupp Arena on Tuesday night. Yes, there was an event at Rupp Arena, 
And on a little bit of a down note, it is a little bit serious. So I think anybody who follows kind of the news, what's going on in the world, there's some serious flooding in eastern Kentucky right now. Obviously, it goes without saying. Thoughts and prayers are not enough, but my thoughts and prayers are going out to those in eastern Kentucky. Uh, we have a ton of listeners in the state of Kentucky, and Kentucky basketball held a fundraiser to support those in Eastern Kentucky. They're actually selling a shirt with proceeds going to Eastern Kentucky. So consider if you can making that small purchase. But as part of this fundraiser, John Calipari and Kentucky had a few quick announcements. One, they're bringing their blue-white game, which is their inner squad scrimmage traditionally played at Rupp Arena. They're bringing it to Eastern Kentucky, obviously as a gesture of goodwill for the folks out there. Secondly, on the scoreboard during this this event at at Rupp Arena on Tuesday night, we got a surprise guest appearance from none other than Mark Few, the head coach of the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Mark Few, I thought, gave a very, very like sincere speech. He said, Coach Cal, you and your players are doing God's work. I don't take that lightly. I'm the son of a pastor. But then... On top of everything, we got an announcement that I think if you're a College Hoops fan, you can't help but be excited about. We found out that Kentucky and Gonzaga, the ultimate of blue bloods versus the ultimate of new bloods, to use a term that Leonard Hamilton uses for for Florida State basketball, new blood versus blue blood, Gonzaga and Kentucky have announced a home-and-home schedule. How about that? November 20th of 2022, Kentucky is going to Gonzaga, and in 2023, Gonzaga will come to Rupp Arena. And so I have a ton of thoughts. I'm not going to spend a ton of time on it, but let me just say this. First of all, all, before anything, credit to John Calipari and his players for coming up with a way to give back to a community that desperately needs him in Eastern Kentucky. We can talk about the basketball stuff, we can talk about the matchup, but most importantly, what they are doing for their community, and you want to criticize John Calipari for what happens on the court, doesn't win enough games, needs to get to a Final Four, that is fine. I can't ever remember a coach doing more for his local community than John Calipari is, so let's give him and his team credit, and it's not just this year. Go all the way back to his first year where he and Kentucky basketball raised over a million dollars for earthquake relief in Haiti. With that said, this is a sports podcast, though, so from the basketball perspective, we just got ourselves one of the marquee games of the college basketball season, one of the marquee games of the opening couple weeks of the college basketball season with Kentucky going to Gonzaga. First of all, both these teams in my top 10 for this upcoming season, and I could not be more excited about this matchup. Kentucky, for people who do not follow closely, has the most veteran team that they're going to have in a while. Oscar Shibway, the National Player of the Year, is back. Uh, Severe Wheeler, who led the SEC in assists, is back. C.J. Frederick, a transfer from Iowa, who sat out last year, is back. Plus, Kentucky has its usual assortment of freshmen. Then there's Gonzaga, a roster that I like but I don't love. Uh, They, of course, have Drew Timmy, the National Player of the Year, coming back, as well as uh, three guards that contributed in a big way last year, Rasir Bolton, one of their leading scorers, and two guards that are going to have to take a big step up in Nolan Hickman, who ironically was once committed to Kentucky, 
Um, he is back as well as Hunter Salas. So first of all, credit to both these coaches for making it happen. And I think, look, this is going to be a great matchup in the early part of the college basketball season. November 20th, Kentucky flies cross country. And I will say this, this is a mega, mega, mega game for both of these teams in what is a loaded, loaded, loaded schedule for each of them as well. First of all, for Kentucky, uh, Calipari never really ducks people in the out of conference. He hasn't played a ton of true home and homes, which is why I think the fan base was so excited was because of the idea that um, it, it was because of the idea that they're going to get a really marquee game at Rupp Arena in 2023. But you talk about a loaded schedule for John Calipari. Opening night champions classic against Michigan State. At one point, Kentucky will then play Gonzaga at Gonzaga. They'll fly across country. They'll fly to play Gonzaga on November 20th. So they open with Michigan State. Then November 20th, that's Sunday, they play at Gonzaga. Then how about this? Later in early December, they play Michigan in London. In London, this was supposed to be the first ever college basketball game played in London during COVID. Uh, COVID canceled it, so it was played this year. And then on top of that, they also play UCLA as part of the CBS Sports Classic. They play Louisville on the road, and they play Kansas at home as part of the Big Ten SEC Challenge, a uh, Big Twelve SEC Challenge. So just just listen to that schedule before you get to the SEC with Auburn and Arkansas and Tennessee and Alabama and all these good teams. You are playing Michigan State on a neutral. Then you fly to Gonzaga. Then you fly across the world to play Michigan. Then you play UCLA and you play Kansas. So that is an incredible schedule for Kentucky. And then there is the Gonzaga side of things. They open with that game on a on a aircraft carrier against Michigan State. Yes, Gonzaga is playing against Michigan State on an aircraft carrier. We're bringing it back, baby. That is one of the opening games of the college basketball season as Gonzaga and Michigan State play uh, in San Diego. Frankly, it's a game that I might try to get to because it's only about two hours from where I live. So that is Veterans Day, November 11th. Nine days later, they play Kentucky at home. They also play Alabama in Birmingham, that is the part of a, a pseudo home and home. Remember, they played Alabama and Seattle last year, go back and play Birmingham. And then on top of that, they also play Texas on the road, and they play in the PK80 tur- PK85 tournament, excuse me, which is the one that honors Phil Knight. So five years ago, they had the PK80. This year, they have the PK85 over Thanksgiving, and we got the matchups for that. So Gonzaga is in a bracket that includes, how about this, Duke, Florida, Purdue, West Virginia, and Xavier. Remember, Xavier has Sean Miller now, Florida has uh, Todd Golden now, and of course Duke is Duke. In the other bracket, you have Alabama, Michigan State, North Carolina, Oregon, UConn, and Villanova. So just an insanely, just insanely, just, just listen to those games. Just listen to those games. You have Kentucky playing Michigan State on a neutral, Michigan on a neutral, at Gonzaga, at Louisville, UCLA on a neutral, and also you're playing on top of that, you're then playing Kansas at home. Gonzaga is playing Alabama in the state of Alabama, Michigan State on a neutral, the PK-85, Kentucky at home, and also 
Texas on the road. So credit to both coaches for making this happen. Obviously, it was surrounded by a good cause, and it is going to be a great matchup. Oscar Shibwe versus Drew Timmy, Gonzaga versus Kentucky. The one thing I will enjoy is this, is that when Gonzaga gets a potential number one seed in the NCAA tournament, uh, at least Kentucky fans can't say they, play, they didn't play anybody this year. So Gonzaga, how about that? Kentucky home and home with Gonzaga. Credit to both coaches for making this happen. I'll say this too. Credit to John Calipari for being willing to go to Spokane this year, which is obviously going to be a brutal environment, but it will only get them ready for SEC play. Really quickly, let's get to a couple other news and notes. By the way, I mentioned the PK-80. The Maui Invitational field was not only announced, but we got matchups in Maui. And you talk about a loaded early season tournament, Maui is it. So here are the matchups, and then I'll break them down individually, and we'll get out of here with some recruiting news. Texas Tech versus Creighton, which doesn't sound great on paper, but I'm going to tell you why it is. Louisville versus Arkansas, San Diego State versus Ohio State, Arizona versus Cincinnati. So off the top of my head, there are four teams in my preseason top 25, Creighton, Arkansas, San Diego State, and Arizona. Ohio State and Texas Tech were on the fringes. I think you can argue six of the top 30 teams in college basketball this coming season are in this event. Creighton, we've talked about them. They are a preseason top five team. They are a team that made a run to the Big East Championship game. They are a team that made a run to the second round of the NCAA tournament. Easily could have beaten Kansas, the defending champion, without two starters. Well, now they get everybody back. They get uh, four of their five starters back, including Arthur Kaluma, who I believe is a potential first-round pick. Ryan Kalkbrenner, probably the best center in the Big East. Sorry, Adama Sonogo, it's true. Uh, Ryan Nemhard, Andrew Nemhard's brother at point guard. This is a top five team coming in. Texas Tech really did a good job in the transfer portal. Fardaz Amik, who was the second leading scorer in college basketball last year behind Oscar Shibwe, he is coming in. Davion Harmon, who was at Oregon last year, is coming in, plus a couple nice returnees. The highest rated recruit in the history of the program. Not a bad little roster that Mark Adams has put together. I think those are two of the top 30 teams, if not two teams that are definitely going to be in the NCAA tournament. Louisville, Arkansas. I'll be honest, this one looks a little bit better on paper than it probably is in actuality. Uh, Louisville is going to really struggle this year. I like Kenny Payne. I think he's the right guy, but they were not able to do in the portal what they need to. We know how how loaded Arkansas is. You really don't need me to tell you. Uh, Three McDonald's All-Americans, Nick Smith Jr., uh, who I think might be the number one pick in next year's draft, Jordan Walsh and Anthony Black, a guy that Coach Muss has kind of raved about in his media availabilities. Six top 100, pick, uh, top 100 prospects overall, plus a loaded transfer portal class. For those of you who do want to see Arkansas, by the way, foreign to- tour starting next week that is available for purchase on Flow Sports. Yeah, I'm going to spend the $9.99 or whatever it costs. It's going to be worth it for me. Arkansas loaded. San Diego State actually very loaded as well. They lost to Creighton in round one. They bring back most of their key pieces. They were the number one defensive team in some metrics in college basketball next year. Last year, I think they're a dark horse Final Four team. And then finally, our first look at the new look Arizona Wildcats. Really excited about this team. Uh, three starters back from last year's Elite Eight or Sweet 16 team, number one seed. Kirk Risa, the point guard. Zulus Tubelis, the power forward. I guess Umar Balo was not a starter. He was probably their sixth man, but he'll be back at center. Also, I thought they did a good job in the transfer portal. Courtney Ramey from Texas, I think, is a really, really, really good player. Um, added Cedric Henderson as well uh, from the mid-major ranks. Really excited to see this team 
And Cincinnati, rebuilding under Wes Miller, but they're, pl- they're going to be much improved next year. Just a loaded Maui Invitational field. I'm not even going to start to speculate, but what I will tell you, if we get Arkansas Creighton in round two, that's going to be amongst the best early season college basketball games of the year. Really quickly, two college basketball recruiting notes. The first one, I'll say this. Uh, I did an extended thing on this on YouTube, so if you have not seen it yet, Uh, And if you want more content, I encourage you to just go to YouTube and check it out. But Kentucky picked up yet another five-star guy, uh, Ugana Kingsley. He is a reclassified player, a player that was originally a part of the class of 2023. On Monday, he announced that he is committing to Kentucky, and he has already reclassified, and he will enroll this year. So the bottom line with this kid, and again, I did an extended thing on this, but here's what you need to know about this kid. One, he is enrolling this year. New to, new to basketball, new to the United States, came over in the in January of this past year or December of 2021. Um, and he's a really raw player. But he's about seven feet, seven foot one. I saw him at the Pangos All-American camp a few weeks ago in Vegas. This kid is every bit seven foot, seven foot one. Um, kind of reminds me of, of, of a kid named Infali Dante who plays at Oregon right now. And what I'll say is this. Look, I'm not going to sugarcoat this for Kentucky fans. First of all, not expected to play much this year, if at all. The belief is that he may even redshirt this year. I'll believe the redshirt when I see it. But this is not the type of kid that is going to come in right away, average 20 and 10, and be a one and done. So first of all, I have a lot of Kentucky fans. Oh, he's the next shade and sharp. He's going to show up, redshirt, and then never play. That's not who this kid is. He's not going to be a top 10 pick if he never plays college basketball. And he's really a two, three-year player more than he is a one and done or a none and done in the case of Shaden Sharp. Really talented, though. What I do think, he's already an elite defensive prospect. I think the offensive game is going to take a little bit longer to come along. But what I like about this commitment is two things. One, coming in, he does not have to worry about you know, a world where he has to be a focal point right away. He can come, he can develop at his own pace, and he can take his time in getting better and really be set for the 2023-2024 season. Number two, I think he's just going to be a great practice player for Oscar Shibwe. Oscar Shibwe, we know he's about 6'8", 6'9", super talented player, but the one thing he struggles with is, is super long, athletic, low-post players. Practicing against Uganda Kingsley every day is only going to make Oscar Shibwe better. So I give Kentucky credit for making this happen, and I think the biggest winner is actually Oscar Shibwe. He's going to practice against legitimate NBA size, length, and athleticism every day. That's only going to make him better. By the way, I said this on the YouTube video, which you should go check out. Make sure you're subscribed if you're not already. With Uganda Kingsley, I give John Calipari credit. He's setting up for the future. He's setting up for the 2023-2024 season. And now kind of his front court is starting to get set. Again, this is not a Shane Sharp deal. This kid is not going to leave after one year redshirting for the NBA. Now, could something weird happen and he transfers? Could he go overseas? I don't know. I can't say for sure that he'll be back for the next season. But he is not going to leave for the NBA. And so why that's important to me is because now... You don't have to worry so much about the class of 2023. There's a five-star named Aaron Bradshaw that Kentucky is considering, but there's also thoughts that Aaron Bradshaw might not make it to campus, that he might go to the G League, that he might go to a professional route. If that's the case, then you know what that means? You're already set. You don't have to worry about it. Final piece, because we're going long as we always do. Um, 
final piece, five-star 2023 prospect K.J. Evans commits on Tuesday, was forever believed to be an Arizona lean. Instead, he ends up at Oregon committing to the Ducks over Arizona at the last minute. Listen, you guys and girls know my policy on NIL stuff. I do not get into NIL. I do not make NIL accusations. But what I can say is if you follow the tea leaves on this, it feels as though there was maybe some NIL involved here. Was forever believed to be an Arizona lean in the final 24 hours before his commitment commits to Oregon. I'm not accusing Oregon of anything. But if you read the tea leaves, it is hard not to think that there was something that potentially went on. Again, these are the rules, and the rules are very confusing. I, if it did happen, I, have, I can't blame anybody. What I would say is, great get for Oregon, right? This kid's really good. He is a one-and-done. Now, I don't think he's like the kind of one-and-done that changes your entire season's trajectory with him simply being committed to you. I don't think he's Cade Cunningham. I don't think he's Paolo Bancaro. I don't think he's Zion Williamson, but he will be a really good piece that Oregon can partly build around for the 2023 season, 2023-2024. It also probably puts them right back into the mix with another five-star named Mookie Cook, who was committed to Oregon, decommitted. The belief is that this now opens the possibility that it makes him more likely to want to come there. So a big day for Oregon getting K.J. Evans. I would say this too. Whether it's NIL, the Oregon brand, whatever it is, uh, Oregon has not slowed down in recruiting in football or basketball even since the UCLA-USC announcement. Uh, A few weeks ago, they got a commitment from a five-star named Dante Moore, five-star quarterback, that is. So he, on the football side, is the future of Oregon football. K.J. Evans is the future of Oregon basketball. Just say this, people, as we get out of here. Did A.T. do it again or did A.T. do it again? I was wondering... What we're going to talk about today, and I just gave you an hour's worth of content as I always do. First of all, before we get out of here, thank you to Phil Steele. Phil Steele's the man. Make sure you're following him. Buy the magazine. PhilSteele.com is where you get all his information. Uh, but yeah, I think that's it for today's Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Uh, had to get serious there off the top with Deshaun Watson. Thought it was very important that I do that. But now it is time to get out of here, and uh, so let's get out. Before we do, want to thank you guys for listening. Make sure you're subscribed if you're not already. Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Music, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure that you are subscribed. Also, make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead, give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, all that good stuff. Make sure you're following on social media, at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter, at Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com. That is all for today's show. I got to run. Shout out to Torrent Craig. Shout out to Rachel, who hates my voice. Shout out to JJ Reddick, UF head. I'll be back on Friday. New episode, Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. 
Sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.